With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, listen up. I know these days when you watch the news, it feels like it's one hit after another and it's all bad news for the economy. Well, let me give you some good news. It's not all that bad when it comes to real estate. Let me explain. You see, a year ago, man, real estate was hot, hot, hot. Everybody and their brother was trying to go out and buy another house. What did that mean? It was so competitive that a lot of folks got discouraged. So let me ask you, have you thought about buying a house in the last couple of years, but maybe just couldn't win a bid? I used to hear that all the time. Well, now is the time to buy. Yes, interest rates have creeped up a little bit, but what that's created is an opportunity for you. A year ago, it wasn't uncommon for there to be more than a dozen offers on a home, many of which were over list. That is not the case today. So if you got discouraged once before about trying to buy a new house, now's the time to take another look. Now, yes, interest rates have creeped up a little bit, but you're not going to overpay for the home. But here's what you will do. You'll stop throwing your money away on rent, and now you'll get a greater tax deduction. That's right. You see, at the end of the year, you're going to get a statement from your mortgage company that shows how much interest you paid, and you get to write all of that interest off. That means you could get a huge tax deduction. You never get that as a renter. Not only that, homes are still going up in value. Don't believe the hype. All of the economists believe long-term real estate always works out. Let me give you an example. Maybe way back when in the housing collapse of 2008, you bought in 2007 and maybe overpaid. Buddy, if you hung in there, that house is worth a whole heck of a lot more now. If you've played in the stock market, you know what I'm talking about. You only lose money when you throw in the towel. Real estate long-term always performs well. So here's my advice to you. Date the rate, marry the house. Find the house that you and your family love long-term because here's what's not long-term, these higher rates. I've yet to see a single economist who doesn't agree with me that rates are going to return. So doesn't it make sense to get the house you want right now? And then when rates improve, man, just get a lower monthly payment. In the meantime, you'll enjoy a greater tax deduction and that property is going to continue to appreciate, meaning you're building equity and wealth for yourself. Not only that, how about this? We're going to save you some cash at buywithconrad.com. We're going to give you the peace of mind of a seven-year guarantee. When rates improve over the next seven years, not if, but when, that's my prediction, we'll refinance you again with no new origination points. Think about that. That could save you thousands of dollars and give you the peace of mind of knowing that you got the right house for your family right now, and then when the rates improve, man, get a lower monthly payment. Now, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this, but you do need to hurry to buywithconrad.com. That's the first step. You tell us how much you want to put down and what you want your monthly payment to be. We get you approved, and then you go shopping just like a cash buyer at buywithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Seriously, if you've thought about buying a house over the last couple of years, but you got discouraged, Now's the time to take another look. Let me run the numbers for you right now. You'll be glad you did at buywithconrad.com.
What is going on, DDP Snake Pit fans? It's time for another edition of the Snake Pit, presented to you exclusively by Podcast Heat and AdFreeShows.com. I, of course, am John Alba, joined as I am by two bona fide Hall of Famers this week. First off, Mr. Diamond Dallas Page. DDP, how we doing? Man, awesome, man. Uh, coming off a great week last week, uh, so uh, I'm ready to rock. And, of course, his cohort, Mr. Jake the Snake Roberts. What's up, Jake? Oh, you Saran want more? Rap. Saran Rap. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> we love a good yeah. callback here on DDP Snake Pit. And if you haven't checked That's out our good episode from a couple weeks ago, you need to. It was an all-time. You that about that. Yeah. Well, I was in Alaska. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh... That was that was a that was a bit of a story. Let's go on the extra mile. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, gentlemen, uh, this is going to be one of our most anticipated episodes on the Snake Pit because we are talking about the career of Sting, one of the most iconic figures in professional wrestling history. Man, both of you know very well, and I'm very excited to pick both of your brains on the icon himself. So, let's turn the clocks all the way back, guys. Here we go, Sting. One of the true defining figures of his era in professional wrestling. He starts wrestling in 1985 in California as Flash, teaming with a guy named Jim Helwig as Power Team USA. I got to, I got to, you know, jump in and rake your eyes right there. Uh, you know, it doesn't happen without a guy named Rick Bassman. You, do you know who Rick Bassman is? Yes, of course. California promoter who helped launch the careers of so many. It's so many. Um, John Cena, you know. But go back to where this is this little dude who sees these guys in the gym and like, you guys should be wrestlers. And originally thought about, he put four guys together. Originally, I can't remember the other two guys' names. One actually had a shot in AW, not, uh, not AW, AWA back in the day. But... Uh, I mean, to look at Sting back then and Helwig, which both looked yeah. unbelievable. Sting are no, nowhere near as big as he would eventually get. But, you know, living in the gym and loving loving his, uh, you know, what he was doing in the gym and then gets this opportunity to, you know, get in wrestling. And I don't know how Rick, you know, <laughs> ever really thought he could control it after that. Oh, my God. You know, because it took on a life of its own. But you know, give it to Rick. He's done all. He helped a lot of guys in the business. Like I said, John Cena, another guy, kind of famous. You know, he did all right for himself. Yeah, he's done okay. <laughs> <laughs> Loves cattle. But what's interesting about that is, I've never looked at Sting as a body guy. He's always had a great body. He's always looked like a professional wrestler. But you combine him with a Jim Helwig, an Ultimate Warrior, and in my opinion, there's there is a disparity there. So in those early days in his career, did he carry more of that? Uh, visual presentation in, in that regard. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. he he was a body guy, absolutely a great body. You know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Helwig, of course. They, it was, you know, they they both together. It's very rarely, and Jake, you yeah, answer this. Very rarely do a tag team both become ridiculously over. Yeah, it's usually one or the other. One or the other, always, man. Yeah. You look at look at Janetti. And Sean. Yeah, well, Sean, I was just talking to Paige this morning about Sean because um, we were talking about what happened last week on Raw and Sean coming back. And yeah. I was like, that guy, like, 
He's top, you know, you got to look at him as like maybe top three in the world. If you add of all time, because if you add everything in with Sean, you know, the look, the rap, the entrances, the matches, yeah. I mean, that cat, he had it all. And I was explaining, you know, about because she'd seen DX and everything and, and she didn't understand it. And when I explained it to her and showed her some clips of it, she was like, wow, okay, that cat was really over. And Janetti, you know, Marty didn't hit that spot. It's, you know, it's tough. You know, it's it's tough to be that other guy. So when you look at Sting and Elwig, and they both went in separate directions and became separate huge stars in separate companies. That's crazy. Yeah, it, really. does, it doesn't happen. Well, really they, they they did just that because they'd go on to Memphis, they'd become the Freedom Fighters, and then ultimately they end up in Bill Watts' territory in 86. He's now going under the name Who? of Sting. <laughs> He's now going under the name of Sting. One half of the Blade Runners with the Ultimate Warrior. So in just a short period of time, Again, we started talking about this. He, he debuted in 1985, and, and within two years, he's already really starting to hit some notable territories. When do you guys first remember hearing about Sting? I think when he got the WCW, uh, WCW okay. Turner's World Championship Wrestle, I think that's where I noticed him because I wasn't really watching Watts' territory yeah, back then. I heard, I heard about him but simply because there had been a ruckus in the locker room and two guys got into it. And... Uh, didn't do so well. Mm. And it, with, I can't remember if it was Sting or Helwig, but uh, Dick East later got a hold of him and shoved his head in the toilet. And I think I, that wasn't Sting. No way. Whatever. I don't know. I, I, don't, I really don't know. I don't remember. Sting uh, wrote an outstanding piece in the Players' Tribune. If you haven't read this yet, it, it dropped a couple months ago where he talks about those first few years of his career where he, he was ready to give up everything he was ready to give up it was a struggle on the onslaught but eventually uh, they make their way to well he makes his way to jcp i should say specifically uh in your conversations with him over the years do you remember him ever opening up about some of those struggles early on um not really i, I know i know he said it was you know like anybody's starting out you know a lot of guys are living out of his car out of their cars you know starting well, i out. can i can tell you what he went through with watts let's hear it <laughs> that, was, that was hell but I'll also tell you, the Sting was very fortunate to go there because that place you learn more than any other place on the planet. Bill Watts made you learn. And what was the name of that territory again? Mid South. Mid South. Skips one thing. Yeah, Mid South, man. I mean, you went in there and you had to learn because you were in the same towns every week, and you better go out there and produce. If you don't, you're down the road. What do you gain from that as a performer, Jake? He gained a lot. He gained a lot of confidence, man. Because you, you, when you you can go in there not knowing how to how to direct the book, direct the match, but before you leave there, you'll know how to direct the damn match. Because Bill was real good about partnering people up. That he never put two guys. Now you never put two green guys together. You know what I'm saying? Like he tagged me up with Barbarian to help Barbarian. And we wrestled uh, DiBiase and Doc, which was easy. I wrestled DiBiase and he wrestled Doc. You know, I didn't want nothing to do with Doc, man. I was a killer. Oh, he would have <laughs> stretched me inside and out, man. <laughs> Hell no. Just because he could, you know. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. You know, the, the interesting part about really all of that is that, uh, you know, eventually WCW comes to life because they buy different territories. And that's what and I know back in the day that when Vince was on, you know, WWE was on uh, TBS. Turner wanted to buy it just like he bought the Braves and the Falcons and the Hawks. So he owned the programming, which if you look back at that now, that was such genius. That's what everybody's trying to do with all these streaming services. All media. Own own the content. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Ted uh, was way ahead of his time. Yeah, he was. And and then when he comes in, who who takes a shine to to stay? Nate. Yeah. Nature Boy, man. And Nature Boy, you know, we go to a, I can't remember, was it a 20-minute Broadway or a 60-minute Broadway? So, it's a 20 minute? so yeah, clash, the first Clash of Champions is uh, March 27th, 1988, and they go to a 45-minute draw, stinking <laughs> in the company for less than a year at that point. Uh, what does that say to you guys when you see something like that happen at that stage in the game? Well, the, the big thing that comes out of this whole thing is Sting has been very, very fortunate Two have been partnered up, partnered up with people that could teach him and that could lead him in the ring. And Flair liking him, that was it. He had the golden spoon now, man, because Flair's going to take him out there and make him go. And he'll take him through the whole match without without Sting having to think about anything other just, than just fire up, thing. Yeah, fire up. Thing. Sell. Fire up, sell. That's it, bro. I mean, I don't think there could be a greater compliment than to have Nature Boy, which I can remember Nature training you, you know? I can remember when Nature going out there with Joey Mags. Joey Mags was an enhancement cat, but but Nature Flair loved him. Loved him and went out there and did like 15 minutes. You know, Nature went over, but he shined Joey up big time. And he came back and people were like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I, I mean, I thought it was great because he, he was lifting Joey up. Uh, but, you know, when you got the nature boy going 45 strong with you and then going to a Broadway, it's a, it's a message. And I'll give you one that happened to AEW. When Cody yeah. brings this kid Darby Allen yeah. out of yeah. nowhere, brings him, nobody knows who he is, and does a 20-minute Broadway. I was like, Wow. What he was, the hell's going on? Yeah, he 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 really and look at him today. Yeah, kids red hot. And who's he tagging with? Sting. Imagine like, that. What's the odds of that? I'm, I'm waiting for Vegas to call because <laughs> you know. Well, wait a minute. They don't do it for wrestling. They just do it for football. Yeah, right. Uh, all right, let's get back to Sting. So I, I love the concept of Ric Flair here because. Sting obviously had an incredible career in his own right, but everybody needs that opportunity. Everybody needs that shot. Is it a fair statement, Jake, to say that Ric Flair made Sting? Absolutely. No, absolutely. Absolutely, without a doubt, man. And And, uh, and continued to. And and continued to, absolutely. For what, 15 years? Wow. You know, I mean, he just completely, and he deserved it because he's got the work ethic. He's not going to go out and, 
get totally messed up and not show up or anything like that. He's not into drugs or anything like that, so he's a good bet. And uh, Rick, you know, Rick invested a lot in him. You know, he invested his own time. Plus, he, you know, he would stand up for staying you know, in booking meetings or whatever and say, well, this is the guy I want to go with. Now, I think once they really saw him go, he was going to be, he very quickly, you know, was seen as the franchise. And, yeah. You know, so many people, me included, you know, have so much, you know, thanks to give to someone like Sting because they helped lift us up, you know. What was it about him in those early days that allowed him to connect with audiences? I think the charisma and the energy more than anything. You know, like his his energy was infectious and his matches were good. And he was super solid wrestler. Even though he was green coming into that spot, he was solid. He was solid and believable. And that's the biggest thing. Yeah. You know, you got it, the look, the rap, the size, the believability. You know, and uh, he had it all the way around. And it was quickly being able to be seen that he was going to be the guy. And once he got a hold of that spot, man, he just rolled with it. And held it for yeah. he still got it. Yeah. I mean, he's even going longer than Nate because Nate kept it, you know, for four decades, you know, staying on top. And Sting is in that spot of where he literally, you know, he's 60. Everybody knows how old he is. He's 63, and he's still going, and he's not doing, you know, he's not doing the – he's not, he's not phoning it in. No. He's not. You know, he's not doing paper matches. Yeah, he's not doing that. You know, it go, goes back to where, you know, my biggest shot that really, like, I couldn't in 96, I'd already had like three or four matches with Sting up till that point. And they were pretty quick matches. But in 96, he had asked me, and we were going to be on Nitro. And he had asked me, he said, so what do you want to do? And I was like, you want to know what I want to do? And he actually let me lay out a lot of that match. And Is that one of I, your earlier matches? With yeah, him? yeah, that was one the of first the first ones. Yeah, that was the oh, lowest. I, did, I, I watched that, man. Yeah, in, in 96, because I'd already had a couple matches that were quick matches. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, was yeah. A, a job guy. And very few guys came out of that spot of a job position. I had to go away and leave. And that's when I hooked up with uh, you know, Jake. And then coming back, I was making little gradual you know, lifts, but I couldn't get over that middle. I couldn't get over that mid card spot. And then that. 96. I mean, it's right before my career takes off. But this is a big reason why it did. Because Stinger went out there and he really made me out there. It wasn't yeah, it was a competitive match. I watched it this morning, in fact, you know, it was a very competitive match. I was I was kind of like, wow. Yeah, they're doing it, man. They're doing it. Yeah, it's one thing to be out there with a the guy that you, you know you know that the guy's going over. But for that guy to take the time to create some doubt, which makes him, yeah, there was doubt. Damn, Sting, you're you're in a bad spot here. This this big cat can go, and that's exactly the message he wanted to put out there, and he put it out there, which was a big favor to him. It was huge, and what happened was, it was really cool. And it happens, you know, I wouldn't say frequently, but when you see some some guy step up. You know, I came in through that curtain, and it's the first time it ever happened. I got that old, you know, standing ovation, like, wow. That you feels know? good. <laughs> you know what was really great about that match? The next day, I've got, I go home, and, you know, it's now inside of my head. You know, I'm on the, it's what's coming up next. And back when I first became a wrestler and I was managing the Freebirds, 
when I told Michael and Jimmy, because they were super, they felt bad for me losing my spot as a manager. But I had seven months left of my contract. I've told the story a million times. When I told them, don't worry about it, I'm good. I got seven months left of my contract. I'm going to become a wrestler. And they looked at each other and burst out laughing. Just la- Michael especially, like fall down on the ground laughing. And you know, I gave them both the year number one sign and we said, I'll see you in the ring. And um, you know, bottom line is that next day, I had gone my, when I'd get home, I would go to the gym, I'd go to my chiropractor, I'd go to my massage therapist, and I go, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be 40 at that point, you know. So I'm trying to hold back the hands of time. And I get I get to uh, to my house to grab something. I'm running out the door as I hear the phone message go off, and I hear Paige, P.S. <laughs> and I, I hadn't talked to Mike in a couple of years, so I ran back and I picked up the phone. I'm like, Mike. I go, hey, bro. He goes, God, that son of a mother. I'm like, Mike, Mike, what's the matter? What's the matter? Page, <laughs> you know how sometimes you, 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 you call somebody in the middle of the day because you don't want them to pick up the phone. You want to leave a message? I'm like, yeah. Goes, you want me to hang up so you can call back and leave a message? No, no, no. You called me. No, Page. I, I got to be honest with you. I got to be honest with you. I, we saw your match last night. We all did. And I have never been so happy to eat crow in all my life. Hell of a job, kid. And he hung up with me. <laughs> yeah, because he couldn't stand in any <laughs> He couldn't give me any more praise. Yeah. But it was such a, it was such so a. So out of character for him. Yeah. It was such a special moment for me, though. You know, that, oh, that God, Michael, because Michael, like people from this generation, they don't know how great Michael P.S. Hayes is. And the matches he would have with Sting, they were teardowns, man. Tear it down, man, because, you know, Michael could really go. He had the look. He had the talk. I mean, nobody could talk any better than him. Well, I always wanted to beat the shit out of him just because of his hair. <laughs> he had <laughs> great hair. We definitely <laughs> need to do a Michael Hayes episode in long no, form at some point. Oh, 100%. Because, you know, I host Matt Hardy's podcast. And I've heard some great Freebird stories on that. So I can't even imagine what you guys have to offer. And uh, you know, you know, he, those were his boys big time, mm-hmm. you know, you know, coming in like those the Hardy boys, you know, Hardy brothers, friggin uh, Jeff and Matt. And of course, the other guys, too, friggin who never about well, Edge. <laughs> yeah, you Edge and Christian. Yeah. You know, uh, they. uh they they were they a lot of Michael P.S. Hayes yeah. is in those guys and he was oh, there yeah. to 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 nurture them and teach them coming up from no field kids who were just on the road literally living in their cars oh yeah you know I just, remember running into Edge in uh, Hamilton Ontario and uh, he's talking to me and he's like they want me to do this and they want me to do that and I said well. How do you feel about that? He goes, I don't want to cut my hair off. I said, then don't. But just know that they're not going to use you right now because you look too much like somebody else. Because mm. he, look, he looked just exactly like uh, Triple H when they had the long hair. Yeah. And then, well, 4-H went, you know, crazy, but. You know, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Magic, let, so. <laughs> let, let's circle back to Sting here. So. 
So the Sting's big crowning moment comes against Ric Flair after a brief run as a horseman and RoboCop, which we don't need to talk about here. Yeah, that was. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, I love that match. Yeah, you're a RoboCop guy. Yes, I, I no, but I love that match. <laughs> okay, that's fair. It just, it just, it can, you know, it just, it made me happy. Okay, that's fair. It, it encompasses that era of professional wrestling pretty well, uh, <sighs> matching up with RoboCop. But he defeats Flair at Great American Bash 1990 in Baltimore to win his first world championship. And just like that, Ric Flair is here to stay, as, or rather, Sting is here to stay as a main eventer in WCW. Uh, how do you remember his popularity climbing at that time we know the surfer sting character it really feels like he's marketed towards kids but he connects with adults because of his charisma and he's so special at that time he was a man you know the young people loved him because you know he yelled and he screamed and he made everybody happy he beat on his chest and (laughs) all things that kids would love to do you know, to mom or dad or whoever. But, uh, yeah, once he started, his popularity started to build, brother, it was doubling overnight. Yeah, yeah and the, was the women. That way. The women, oh, love, the women him. love him. Yeah, so you know, that's that's the, the key it factor. Guys want to hang with you and have a drink, and, you know, women want to be with you. You know, it's simple as that. <laughs> and have a moment. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and also what he had, which is really special, is grabbing that kid element. Because the kid element, that's that's what pushes the parents. And parents who would never care about wrestling, who really want to connect with their kid, will all of a sudden care. And, it, you know, it's, it's just a cyclical thing. That's just, that's one of the beautiful things about wrestling. It, it oh, touches yeah. it touches every, every walk of life. Like, wrestling fans are the best fans. But there, there is. It isn't just the Copenhagen dip and coupon clip and draft beer oh, drink and redneck. No. Uh-uh. You know, it's CEOs and oh, you know, and stockbrokers. You know, so it is across the board. It's moms and Muhammad grandmas. Ali. <laughs> yeah, right. we've had some unbelievable. You know, I think today WWE is showcasing that better than anything. But so. not, not, not Biden. No. <laughs> uh, let's let's keep rolling here so a guy that we haven't mentioned yet a guy that we haven't mentioned yet that i know you both have a lot of respect for and that's luger and luger is a pretty important part to that early sting story they're teaming together against the steiners at wrestle war in 91 and then uh, sting eventually defeats luger at super brawl 2 to win his second world title what do you think of their chemistry together well, those guys are brothers, man. Yeah. You know, and really inside and outside the ring. Lex back then, he was like I would tell anybody, if you want to try to be anybody, like because he had it. He had everything. Lex Luger had it all. He had the businesses and the gyms that him and Sting both became partners in. You know, so they were they weren't just doing business in the ring, they were doing business in real life too. And they were super, super tight, man. And Lex was the guy. And I think Lex, you know, from what I saw, you know, from an outside spot of it, because I wasn't pulled into that, you know, area yet. But from what I saw, Lex, like, took Singer, you know, under his wing early on and looked out for him. And because Lex had been in the business for a while, too. And again, like I said, really smart, 
businessman. He was the first guy besides guys like Ric Flair, who was a man, you know, he, but he's one of the first guys who really not just marketed himself well, but made great money all the way through. And I mean, great money when people weren't making big money in wrestling. Well, that all brings us to uh, one of our big emphasis here on this episode, and that is 30 years ago. August 2nd, 1992, some big cat named Jake the Snake Roberts makes a memorable WCW debut by attacking Sting in Baltimore, and we are off to the races for a program that is going to uh, really hit its peak at Halloween Havoc. Uh, Jake, that's a pretty big uh, endorsement of you bringing you in there to work with Sting right away. How'd that all come together? Um, well, it was an opportunity for me. I would, you know, I'd left the WWF and uh, went south, and uh, to be brought in in that position was just perfect. That's that's what I wanted. I wanted to be right in the middle of it, and uh, of course they brought me in, and uh, I, wrestled, I wrestled everybody. Well, not everybody, but close to it. Top guys. Uh, all the top guys, anyway. And uh, had a memorable match with uh, Dustin Rhodes for a TV match. But, uh, you know, Halloween Havoc, it, it, it everything going for it, man. And then they spin the wheel. What the hell? Coal miners match. Coal miners glove. <laughs> hey, Steve, have you ever been to coal miners? No, mm-hmm. me either. What do we do? We use a pick? What? It was just ridiculous, man. It could have been anything other than that. And that was such a downer when we heard that. But we went out there. Did they actually really spin the wheel like a, without having a gimmick? That's what they said, but I don't believe that horse crap. Oh, so you think they set you up to fail? I definitely. Wow, definitely. that's heavy. Well, Bill Watts was in control. Yeah, and Bill Watts, if you were coming from WWE, he wanted to beat you right away because that means our talent's better than theirs. Well, that, that's well, kind of psychology stupid. would go both ways. Yeah, that's real <laughs> stupid. So, you know, he did several things. I, but this isn't about me. This is about Sting. But it was a pleasure to work with him, even though we had a crap opportunity. We well, went out there and did a job. I do want to ask about that match, though, because a lot of people remember it for the snake. And yeah. uh, the snake took a little uh, little gnaw on you in that match. Yeah, what what happened there? What happened there? Uh, not paying attention to what I was doing, you know. You get out there, man. Guys, you know, you don't know that you've done it. You think you got this under control, but you don't. Because there's so much going on around you. Somebody's going to grab your arm and pull you this way. You got the snake in this hand. Somebody's going to hit your elbow this way. You go to grab a guy. The snake's right there. Snake just did what a snake does, bite. You know? And uh, he bit me in the cheek, which wasn't bad. Not something I'd want to do again, but it wasn't bad. <laughs> you know? Again, you know, I always have to throw this in here. You have to remember it. Aurelian Smith yeah. is afraid of snakes. I'm terrified of snakes, man. <laughs> but Jake Snake Roberts, when he makes that transformation, he ain't afraid yeah. of shit. Right. You know, yeah. just stupid. That's what it was, man. I I took so many chances with that snake. Oh my God. 
I look back now, man, I just cringe. At least, what could have happened. at least it was not in a strip club with The Undertaker. That's all uh, we need to know. <laughs> yeah, <in> several loads. <laughs> go, go check out that one in the archives, my friend, DDP Snake Pit. Yeah. Uh, Dallas, so Jake comes in. What do you think of him being paired with Sting at the time? Um, what, are you, what are you talking about, dude? Just if you're in the right spot. Like, you get in and you get to go get some top guy, you know. It, it, but it, it looks great on paper, you know. And uh, I loved, I just loved the original when you came in and you got the heat on. Yeah. And that was real heat. And if you go back and you listen to the crowds back then, like the crowds are still, they're, they're, again, right now, they're pretty hot again. Like they're pretty white hot again. But there was a different level. Yeah. Of because they they still didn't know in eighty. You can feel the hate. Yeah, you could you could get re. You know, it's been over this last few years. You know, it's been tough to get real heat. You know, because you know the 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 smart all the fans are smart. You know, to a certain degree, but you know, and that's what I was talking about last week. I'm talking about that today. They're creating real heels again, which is really tough to do. But you go back to where Jake was in the spot and Jake was in, uh, you know, coming in, they let him get heat. Those people were screaming. Yeah, they they, they were, were mad. People yeah. were pissed. It wasn't like, oh, that kind of face. People were, they were, they were, they were in, invested. Yeah. 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 And, and going up down the aisle was always fun. He never knew what was going to happen. It's not like going into the crowd today. Like, oh God! Like no. Jake could never have gone into the crowd back no. in those days. So. Oh God, no! You get well, taken let's, out. Let's uh. fast forward a few years then to the transformation of Sting into probably his most memorable character, and that is Crow Sting. We know what goes down at Bash at the Beach, the NWO. Well, don't go! Don't go! Go! Don't go that far. Let's let's stick with that for a second. You okay. talk about like happened. The inside behind the scenes story let's is. Let's hear it. Scott Hall is the one who really gave him that suggestion because Sting, he, he, he didn't know where he was going. He just knew he didn't want to do the spiked hair, you know, that Sting. He didn't want to do that anymore. He wanted to grow and he wanted to reinvent himself, which is probably the most important thing in professional wrestling, especially if you're going to have longevity. Like what, he, what he's doing today, you know, he's still that same guy, but he's a different, he's a different version of it. But, that was a huge transformation. And a scary one. And when you when you the NWO was so hot at that time, and he saw every baby face getting eaten alive, he thought, uh, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna go up into the Raptors for a while. And and it was the smartest thing he could have ever done because it opened up so many things. And for me, as you know, a guy who was a heel and was about to turn babyface because of the NWO, it was the best thing in the world that happened to me, period. Shit, yeah. Because it took the top guy and put him out, and all the other top babyfaces were getting beat down. And I was friends with, you know, a legitimate relationship with Kevin and Scott. So that's why we drug that angle out, you know, uh, and it, it helped me elevate, elevate. But it all came off that match that Sting did with me and then getting to work with Eddie Guerrero. 
Yeah. And Eddie, like, really put that me on the map. Changer. Yeah. Eddie, like what Jake was saying before about him going with, you know, someone and, and helping Barb at the time or whoever he might work with, he was out there to teach him. Yeah. You know, and that, that Eddie helped take me to a different spot, but it started with Sting and then Eddie and then Scott and Kev and then Macho, you know, so it's it, it's all you don't get there by yourself no you know no, no. there always had to be someone else well, if you do you, you won't be there long it's <laughs> fair point well sting's transformation into the crow character and he's doing the rafter stuff as you said it, it builds a lot of intrigue for your eventual blow-off match between him and hogan obviously but it also does big time intrigue for wcw nitro Nitro really starts to move ahead during this time because everyone wants to know what is Sting going to do? What kind of intrigue is he bringing to the company at that point? And were you guys in the locker room all aware of of just how impactful this story being told was going to be for your company, Dallas? I, you know, I, I just... Everything was on working on all cylinders. You know when the momentum shifts, and it had shifted, and that had everything to do with Scott and Kemp. Yeah. That was, they were the catalyst of all that. So it's really kind of cool that the late, great Scott Hall was the guy to give the gimmick to Sting, and then Sting did his thing with it. You know, but it... Kevin and Scott coming over, that changed the pendulum. When Hogan became part of that, it would it had completely shifted. And again, I, I'm just sitting back going like, I'm just happy to be here. Damn right. You know, and it, it just kept growing. But stingling up in the rafters, I don't know whose idea it was for him to come out of the ceiling. I would imagine it was his, but I've never asked him that. But when you think up in the rafters, up in the rafters, you keep seeing them up in the rafters, kind of like what they did with completely different, but kind of like what they did with Bray Wyatt, you know, and building the you know, white rabbit and seeing little glimpses and then taking it away. It's easy. You know, it, it, people want what they can't have. They'll give it to us now, but they really don't want it right away. And if you take that, the biggest pay-per-view in the history of the WCW was Sting and Hogan. They built that for a year. You know, the entire 97. Sting, and that's where I, he came out and gave me the rub a number of times. And again, that's what helped give me a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, getting that rub like he got from Rick. You know, and all the guys ended up you know, being a part of that, you know, and and for me to, to watch it all happen and be actually one time come down and grab me, save me from the NWO and lift me 87 feet into the air in the fleet center. That was crazy shit. You know, <laughs> you know today I would never thought huh? I would never have thought of it. <laughs> you know, but back then the original idea was Eric goes. And then as he tells me at his house, he's like, and then Sting will drop down. And then, you know, you'll grab a hold of him and you'll both take off into the, you know, into the ceiling. And I just looked at him. I'm like, okay. And he goes, 
I had no sell it because he was hoping. Yeah, I was going, no, I'm not squeal. doing it. What are you crazy? You yeah, he wanted me. Yo, you can't sell shit. No, you, you, know, you can't sell. Mm. And I learned that from really it was Austin and Mick Foley. You know, the, the shit that they did to me early in my career and the Freebirds ribbing me because I would sell so hard that it would just make them laugh out loud. Oh, God. You know, and at some point I just, those two really, Austin and Foley, got me to stop selling. Like, no sell. No sell. And then later when they found out that, okay, here's what's going to happen. You're going to wear a harness. You're going to put it under your jacket. You know, I get there for TV and I know this is going down. So I got to come out there and feel the harness, get the hook, get lifted up. So I'm all dressed in my gear and stuff. I come down there. They say, okay, you're going to be laying in a spot. Your Hogan's going to hit you with the belt. You're going to go to the floor and then Sting's going to drop. And then nobody's supposed to bother us. He's supposed to hook me, threaten, and take off. And what did Jake just say before when he said about, you know, you get out there and it's always like, you know what you want to do. Yeah, but there's three, four, five, eight other guys. Yeah. So many brains out there. <laughs> what the hell are they going to do? And, yeah. and, I, and I'm not scared. And I am not scared to go at this point. Until I hear Sting going, what are you doing? What are you? And he just starts taking his match. Get the hell away from me. Like he's like, these you're not supposed to be, you're not supposed to be screwing around right now. And they're feeding him. And as he's hitting him, he's he's got concern in his voice. And now I'm like, oh God, now I start start breathing. <laughs> and I'm like, oh God. Easy boy, easy. Oh God, is he gonna hook me up the right way? No, because it's one clip. Right, you got to nail it. And but I also got to tell you, earlier when I went out there, they hooked me up and they lift me ten feet off the ground, and they go, "You good?" No, I'm good. I go, "Put me down now." He goes, "No, no, we're going to take you all over the top." I go, "No, you're not. No, you're not." He goes, "No, we've got to test it." I go, "Sting's going up and down a million times." I said, "Today I'm Frank Sinatra." In other words, you got one take. Don't blow it. So now, like I say, I'm on the ground and I'm hyperventilating. And I'm like, I breathe, breathe, breathe. <laughs> and I feel Sting click it. And they only lift me up about six inches so you can feel like he's on me. He's going to ride me like a horse 87 feet into the ceiling. <laughs> and, and right there, I'm just, okay, breathing, breathing. Sting's got me. He's got me. And then we, and I'm kind of my eyes closed. You know? <laughs> and oh, we start God. going. And the crowd is going crazy. And I'm going, open your eyes. Go open your eyes. Open your eyes. You're only going to see this once. Oh, my God. And I open my eyes. Everybody's like, ah! No! Ah! It, was, it, was, it was a crazy visual. Yeah, you, everybody's got you know cameras and GoPros on them. I would have loved that GoPro on my head and one on my face. I'd, <laughs> screaming my ass off as we're going up. You didn't cry. Wait, wait, let me get to the top. Did you cry? No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I was screaming. Where's the flag? <laughs> You're throwing a flag. Throwing a flag. So we get to the top, and you know the catwalks up there is a railing. Yeah. And I grab that railing and With I throw hand, myself over and legs and throw myself over. And now I'm upside down. My feet are in the air. You're still hooked up. I'm still hooked up. And Sting is out here, and there's a white light behind him. And I go, 
Oh my God. It's God. <laughs> you really are Batman. Bob. Bob. It's a moment I will never. Oh forget. my God. And I'm in the middle of my feud with Savage. That's I ran out there to attack the NWO, attack Randy, and that's when Sting came down. Again, another rub from Sting was it was amazing. Well, all right. So fans, I hope you fans have noticed that I'm not wearing oxygen today. You're looking great. I'm gonna say that. Yeah, man. Things are getting better because I'm using the oxygen gizmo, man. Right. Yeah. We 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 use this thing called uh, Libo Two, and it's a oxygen mask that you know it's 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 all about. Yo, challenging um, your lungs challenging man. your lungs like we go we'll put this mask on and train you're like you'll be doing squats i'll be on the bike or something and what it's doing it's taking you you're we have breathed 21 percent oxygen right, right now what this does is literally brings the oxygen like we're 10,000 15,000 i'm at 19,000 feet right now so it's it, it takes away the oxygen, and then it creates a need. So when you flip the switch and it goes to ninety percent oxygen, boom! Blast, man! It, which helps your brain. Uh, a lot of a lot of people in the NFL are starting to use it for concussion protocol. And it, yeah, this is no way. We're just we're just talking about something that we're yeah. using that if you can get him off of this, you know, that's yeah. super special, man. We're getting there, baby. I just wanted my fans out there to know the snake man wasn't bullshitting you. I'm getting better. Oh, yeah. Awesome. We we love to hear that. All right. So you know football, and you pick winners all the time. So why not actually get paid for doing that at my bookie? Bet single game spreads, money lines, or parlay multiple together to increase your payouts. And it's a low contest entry fee that will see over half a million dollars to be won. So make it so you don't have to be a pro gambler just to have fun. And getting started is super easy. Just visit mybookie.ag and use promo code SNAKEPIT on your first deposit in order to secure a double deposit bonus. That's promo code SNAKEPIT to get your first deposit matched dollar for dollar all the way up to a thousand bucks. MyBookie is a proven sports book that makes it simple to bet and simple to win. So make this your winning season exclusively at my bookie. So Dallas, you mentioned that it was special as an enhancement guy starting to work with Sting. And now here you are just a few years later, 1998, 1999, you're working big time matches with him. And eventually in 98, March of 98, Sting's the WCW champ. You're the U.S. champion. And he pins you on an episode of Nitro in about 11 minutes. But afterwards, he helps you to your feet. And there's somewhat of an endorsement going on here. And eventually that's going to lead to a year later where in that four-way match that we've talked about here on the podcast, uh, you win your world title for the first time and he's in that match. Uh, Did you form a a nice close bond with Sting at that time as you're both towards the top of the card there in WCW? I I got tighter and tighter and tighter with Sting. And that that was super cool. Super cool. Today, we're super, super tight. Um... But back then, like, I didn't know he was going to do that after that match where I had the U.S. title and he had the world title. And after our match, it was a hell of a match. After our match was over, he threw up the diamond cutter sign. And he didn't do it once. He did it, like, three different times. And then he came over and got me and picked me up and 
gave me a hug and I raised his hand. It was like, you know, double baby face match. Not a lot of guys could do that. No. But me and him did. Me and Goldberg did it, you know. But, uh, you know, doing it with him was super amazing. And you got to go back to that, you know, go to that four-way, that four-way dance, you know. Rick, <coughs> Hogan, and Sting. And me. And all these guys are multiple world champions, not me. Big time. And it was, you know, yeah, you have to go four years before this because this is a really special story uh, for me because five, four years, four years and 14 days before this, which was April 11th, 1999, four years. 14, uh, four, four years and four months and 14 days earlier, I'm on the phone with Dusty Rhodes. And Dusty was like Jake, my mentor. And I could talk to Dusty about anything. And at one, I was just venting this one day. And, and I, I was really pissed because no one, they didn't see it in me. This is like 94. And no one could see it. And you know, I said, you know, Dream, you know, what I was really looking for was what I what I would call the Jake Roberts Rick Rude spot, where you didn't know who was gonna win. Jake went out there, Rick went out there, you didn't know who was going over. It wasn't like a match when I had earlier in my career with Sting, you know Sting's going over. Like, when do you get to a point where you don't know that? And now it becomes this that that was my ultimate goal. It wasn't to be the world champion. It wasn't to be a Hall of Famer. It was to get to that spot where you're considered and believable. Yeah. And I just said, you know, Dust, I know I'm never going to be you or Rick or Hulk. I know I'm never going to be the world champion, but these son of a bitches have been got it. Enough. And he had never yelled at me ever. He goes, What did you just say? Now I feel kind of stupid. You know, I'm like, well, you know, Dust, I know I'm never going to be you or Rick. You, no, 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 D, what did you say after that? So, well, I know I'm never going to be the world champion. He goes, then what the hell are you doing it for? That is, if you don't believe you could be the world champion, you need to get the hell out of our business right now. And he kept going. Yeah, it pissed him off. And I can't tell you what he said after that, but I can tell you exactly what I did. Next to my phone was a ledger pad and I grabbed it and I wrote on I will be the world champion in five years or less. It was four years, four months and 14 days later. There the crazy go. part is that I'm telling him I'm never going to be Rick or Hulk or him. Yet that, that day, that night I step in the ring with Rick and Hulk and Dusty's retired, but the franchise isn't the stinger. With Randy Savage as the guest referee. <sighs> and two years earlier, Randy lifted me up. Yeah. Like Rick lifted Sting up. And it made me, it changed my life forever. And that night, you know, to have beaten Rick of all people, you know, in the middle with the cutter. Another thing changed my life. And it would, it would be like 
and prove that inside this. And people know if they listen to the podcast inside my Hall of Fame ring, it says work ethic equals dreams, explanation point, DDP. And that's a message that I constantly try to get out there, that you can do it. Anything can happen, but it's going to take time. You got to be patient. You got to be positive. You got to be able to work through all of the negative garbage that I call emotional gravity that pulls you down. Shake that shit off and just keep moving forward. And that's what Sting did coming up through there. But you did the hard way. He did. He's the hard way, man. Jake, how significant was it to have those three guys in there in the ring putting Dallas over in terms of solidifying him as well, a main event? A million to one shot at that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, last person they would have expected to win. But more importantly, those three guys in the ring wanted him to win because they had learned what he was really like. They respected him. They knew how hard he worked. They may have made fun of him with his ice bags and <laughs> everything else that he did. Because and, wish, was, and wish they were doing them. Yeah, because <laughs> now they wish the hell they had done them. Because <laughs> he's still out there doing stuff, and those old farts are creaking and cranking and rolling around barely. But uh, that was the moment there, man. But to be, I can't imagine that. that it just it makes me want to cry, man. Oh, yeah. I mean, that just... Uh, what a great compliment, you know, to have those three cats, or actually four because Randy's in there too, to be a part of that, man, to lift you. Yeah. If it's not the stamp of approval. There's not one. Well, eventually Sting's WCW run comes to an end with the end of the company. And on the final Nitro, it is Sting versus Ric Flair. How apropos uh, Dallas, what was that like seeing that? How surreal must that have been? It was surreal. That whole night was surreal, but being able to end with those two guys, you know, yeah. where it started, really, WCW. That was really, that was really classy of them to put them out there and, and for them to go out and perform in, in that situation with what all's going on around them. Um, it would have been a little harder to perform. But yeah. uh, they went out there and cranked it up, man, and just went on about business. That's the greatest thing about wrestling. You know, Scott Hall will tell you, I don't have problems in the ring. I have problems out of the ring. Because when we're in the ring, we feel like we're in control of everything. You know, without me, you can't breathe. You can't walk. You can't jump. It's all about me and what I want to happen. So there you go. Eventually, Dallas, uh, you, you'd have your WWE run, we know, but your first match out of WWE after leaving O2 actually comes July of 2004. It's HCW Battle Hawaii. And listen to this match. This is just crazy. We found this in our research. Uh, it's Sting and the Great Muda defeating you and Kojima in 11 minutes and five seconds. What a fever dream. I mean, holy crap. To work with that level of talent, even at that stage in your career, and we know that Sting's about to go on a big run in TNA, what was that whole experience like? Actually, that was me coming back, you know, coming back. I wanted to show at 49, kind of like what Edge is doing right now, and, you know, at 50. 
Um, I just wanted to show what I could still do at 49 and just get in there. And when it was, Scott Hall was supposed to be in that match and Rick Bassman, who we talked about earlier, it, it was, it was his card in Hawaii and asked me if I wanted to come in. I'm like, absolutely. And we, I had a great time. You know, I love working with those guys. And, uh, it, it, it also was, it was a good match too. And, uh, uh, for me to be away from it for like at that point, two and a half years and then coming back, it was, uh, okay, I'm ready to go. And I was going to TNA, you know, cause I was going there and they, you know, it was Vince Russo who talked me into it and he wasn't even going to be there anymore. Uh, and I went, I wanted again to get, get another one last run and work with Raven again and work my way up to Jeff. Uh, in the meantime, Stinger was, you know, coming in pretty much right after that. And, I, you know, I, if anybody, if you'd ask me if anybody of all people was going to, like, not be wrestling in their 50s, never mind their 60s, Sting. to me it was Sting. Yeah. You know, because, you know, he made great money. He he did very, very well. Uh, and uh, he friggin' was, he, he was just a super solid cat. I just thought he would go on to do other things. But... He loves the, you know, he loved the business at a different mm -hmm. level. And he also got to do a lot of things he never got to do before, you know? So TNA, I was really blown away that he, that he did that. And then when he came into WWE, that, that was, you know, that was smart business all the way around. And I know they, they paid handsomely for him coming in there. Well, I feel like that was one of those when hell freezes over moments in wrestling because we know that Vince made multiple attempts to bring Sting in, especially after WCW folded, and he was concerned, and I'd love your perspective on this, Jake. He was concerned about how he would be portrayed. We saw what happened to a lot of WCW guys in WWE. They were portrayed in a less than favorable <laughs> <Yeah>. light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so Sting held off, and then eventually 2014, 2015, he comes back. He gets this enormous debut at Survivor Series, and he ends up working Triple H at WrestleMania. Uh, Triple yeah. H does go over, but it's a pretty memorable match. Jake, what did you think of Sting holding out that long? Uh, to finally get his WrestleMania moment. Shocking. I never seen Sting coming back. I never seen Sting going up there. And I'm sure that he had a ton of fear as to how they were going to portray him and what they wanted to do. But I think that he probably gained trust in Hunter pretty quickly. And they must have become friends of some sort, or business-wise anyway, to go ahead and do that. So it was good to see. But uh, in a perfect world, he would have came back sooner. You know, uh, in a perfect world, though. Not many of those around. Yeah, you know, I think it's another classic thing. And we were talking about it over the last few weeks. Uh, Seth Rollins. It doesn't matter. Who wins or loses oh. when that cat's out there? Like he, it doesn't matter if if he's doing the job, he just got elevated again. Yeah. And when Sting came in, they gave him. As far as I was concerned, they pushed the hell out of him. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they gave him all the vignettes and yeah. you know all of you know the all the, the the accolades that he should be given. The bells and whistles um, were there for sure. Yeah. And again, it's all the way everybody's got to have a WrestleMania moment. 
you know, to me, if you're in this business, that's one of the things that you that you want more than anything. Yeah. You know, I had mine. Jake had many of his. Uh, you know, it's a, it's it's a different animal. It's Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, so uh, it's a once in a lifetime thing. Yeah, and I think he got he got what he wanted there, and then he wanted to do more, and I'm sure they didn't see it quite the way he did. So, AW. <laughs> well, and he had, and he had the sp- the spinal injury. Don't forget in the Seth Rollins match, and and people thought that was it. That was the end of his career. But then, as we talked about with Darby Allen, which again a great episode in our archives, go check out. Uh, Darby was the one who really gave Sting the little nudge and said come on man you can do this and what a cool story that is seeing him reinvent yeah. himself in AEW. i mean big time stuff from sting and he, and he hasn't looked like he's missed a beat it is redefining in my opinion i'd love your guys opinion on this as we wrap up here this is redefining and rewriting how we can use legends in professional wrestling Oh, I think Man. he's the poster boy for that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's done an amazing job for AEW, man. And he's uh, he's taken some risks that I never thought I'd see Sting do. He, he came, off. came off the... Uh, the ledge on the uh, in the arena, ledge. yeah. I said, no way. That's <laughs> what I said to myself. And I could look at him and, and, it's, and see that he had a doubt in his mind, too. What am I fucking doing? That's what he was saying. <laughs> so, yeah, man, you can, you know, guys can be used if you want to use them in the right way. Yeah. The right way. Not not the humiliating, let's laugh at him bullshit. But give some guys some creds for what he's done. Yeah, I think uh, there's not one guy on that roster who doesn't want to take, uh, you know, Scorpion Deadlock. There's not one guy who doesn't want to take, love to. you know, his finish, period. You yeah, know? I had a bunch of kids asking me to DET, and I'm like, are you, what the fuck are you even talking about? I'm <laughs> wrestling. Just DET me right here. Fuck you, man. I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think Sting has had, and he still has, you know, an amazing career. It'll be interesting for me to sit back and watch and see how long he actually goes. Yeah. Because, you know, he he's kind of like the Kiss, you know, the rock and roll band <laughs> of wrestling. And you put that makeup on, yeah. it's like a mask. You know, it's yeah. like wearing a hood. You know, you you don't you forget. He's Batman. Yeah, you're Batman. Well, him going out there without the paint would be like me going to the ring without a snake. Right. This right. ain't going to happen. Yeah, I, I think that. I think again he's had a he's had a ridiculous career, and one of the things about the singer is he's one of those guys who's super grateful. Yeah, and he's a God guy. He's like you're not going to get any bullshit out of him. Yeah, you know he he's not going to kiss your ass. He's going to be straight up with you, and he's yeah. he's a great human being. Period. Period. And the bottom line is Dallas. The only thing that's for sure about Sting is nothing's for sure. So we will see how long he goes. Gentlemen, anything else you'd like to throw out there this week as we uh, give our flowers to Sting here and wrap things up on DDP Snake Pit? I'm good. All good? Cameo? I'm I'm sure we're always a cameo. People know that. We stay busy enough. (laughs) I don't need to be any busier. No, I don't either. That's more than fair. Well, guys, this has been a pleasure. That's DDP. That's Jake the Snake Roberts. I'm John Amble. We'll see you next week right here on DDP Snake Pit.